0: Hi everyone, good morning. Such a joy to be with you and such a joy to be, um, I would say continuing our Matthew series, but we're very nearly at the end now. Um, We are um, still in the Great Commission um, and to set the scene, Jesus has called his disciples together. Um, Some of them full of faith, some of them full of doubt, probably all of them a mixture of the two, which comforts me because I imagine that's like most of us this morning. He's gathered them in Galilee, which is the place that it all began. So it's the place that his ministry began. It's the place that lots of these disciples who are here on this mountain were first called. You might remember right back at the beginning of the book of Matthew, Jesus is walking along um, a beach in Galilee and he stops some fishermen who are doing their job while they're at work. Simon, Andrew, James, John... And he calls to them to leave their nets because he is going to make them fishers of men. Jesus, now fast forward to the end of his earthly ministry, he's taking his disciples back to the beginning to show them that this is a new beginning. Here on this mountain, this group of ragtag disciples are on the cusp of a new humanity, not just a new kind of person but an entirely new creation. Because Jesus' work on the cross, conquering death is complete. The spirit is ready, poised to be poured out. The church of Jesus Christ is about to be born. For these fishermen, Jesus' promise that he would make them fishes of men is about to be fulfilled as Jesus commissions them to go and make disciples of all nations. How are they to do that? Well, rather than pulling fish (laughs) from the Sea of Galilee, they are now to lead men and women through the waters of baptism, from death to life, into the kingdom, into the church. This is what he says, reading uh, from Matthew 28, from verse 9. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. With these words, Jesus determined that throughout all millennia to come until he returns, Jesus' followers would be those who are initiated into the kingdom through baptism and characterized in the kingdom by obedience to Jesus' words. Next week, JP is going to focus more on the second of these two aspects of being a disciple. But today, we're looking at that initiation, the sacrament of baptism. A few weeks ago, we looked at the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We saw that in communion, Jesus has set a meal of bread and wine at the center of his church. Today, we'll see how in baptism, Jesus ordains that our doorway into the church is through water Now, it might sound slightly out of the blue to us that Jesus would insist on this watery ritual to initiate believers into his church. But throughout the Bible, God has used water to create a people for himself and to save a people for himself. You might be reminded here of creation itself, about which we read that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. If you understand what that means, please come and find me. Or perhaps you might be reminded that this, of the story of Noah who passed through waters of judgment in an ark to arrive on dry land. Or you might be reminded of another rescue through water story the story of the Israelites whose initiation into becoming God's covenant people was a baptism of their own. Through the Red Sea, out of Egypt, into a new life with God. The story of the Exodus. And this is a story that Jesus himself was retelling when he was baptised, amongst other things. I was actually going to try and paraphrase the story, but then I came to read it in uh, Exodus 14, and I was so moved that I thought, well, why don't I just let God tell it? Um, So here is an abridged version of the story of the Exodus from Exodus 14. I'm going to pick up the story where, so the Israelites have left Egypt, but the Egyptians are hotly pursuing them. They're coming after them, and the Israelites are trapped between the enemy encroaching on one side and the Red Sea on the other. So this is Exodus 14. The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. As the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. This story is our story. We were trapped with an enemy too strong for us marching after us on one side and the ocean of God's righteous judgment on the other. We needed a way through the sea, we were in a situation of great distress and fear. Moses's words to the Israelites then are Jesus's words to us. Fear not and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Jesus fought for us. He willingly drowned. Under the waters of God's judgment, so that now we can pass through them without even getting our feet wet. We on dry land pass through what should have drowned us. We were taken out of bondage to another Pharaoh called Satan into a land where we could be ruled by a king whose delight is ruling us in love. This is what baptism means. Baptism points to and seals our own exodus out of sin. We pass through water, following Jesus through death and out the other side. Baptism is our own rescue through water story. Perhaps you haven't yet been baptized. And perhaps the reason that you haven't been baptized is that you are wondering, when is the right time? How do I know when I'm ready to get baptised? Well, um, this might be helpful. If you were to carry on reading the story of the Exodus in the Bible, you would notice that the rescue happened before the Israelites were given the law, let alone before they even tried to follow it. (laughs) And in our passage in Matthew today, the disciples are told first to baptise and then to teach obedience. What can we learn from the order of these events? Obedience to God begins on the other side of baptism. And that's because we can only obey once he's made us a new people. In both stories, the Israelites and ours, God's people were rescued, redeemed, and washed clean before they were taught to follow him. In other words, The law is a way of life given to those who already by redemption are in his good books. In other words, we are saved like the Israelites for good works, but never by them. God didn't part the Red Sea for the Israelites as a reward for their good behavior or when they had achieved a certain standard of faith. He saved them because he loved them and they needed saving. This pool over here, which we're going to use this evening um, for a baptism tonight, but I I like that it's here as a prop (laughs) for me to point to. This pool over here is not for those who have achieved salvation through their own good decisions or improved their salvation through good behavior or made themselves acceptable enough good Christians to deserve it. This pool is for people who need rescuing from an enemy and a passage through death. So if you're wondering when the right time to get baptized is, you are ready for baptism the moment you realize you need a savior and you cry out to Jesus in repentance, calling on him to be that savior. That is the only requirement for baptism. I have the privilege, and it really is such a privilege, to be involved in preparing people for baptism here at Grace Church, and so often when we're having conversations about people who are with, not about people, with people (laughs) who are thinking about getting baptised, we hear something along the lines of, I just don't know if I know enough yet, or I just don't know if I'm a good enough Christian to get baptised. Now, this is such a human <laughs> response, and Jesus is so patient with us. But <laughs> saying that we need to become better Christians before we get baptized, it's like one of the Israelites looking at the Red Sea with the Egyptians in hot pursuit and saying, Oh, I'm just not sure if I deserve it. You know, I've not been that good recently. I don't think I should go through the sea. I, th- I, sh- I think I'd just stay here. <laughs> or, It's like one of the Israelites saying, well, do you know what? It's not that wide. I reckon I could swim it, you know? You can go through it, I'm gonna swim, I'm gonna swim. If you wait to become qualified for salvation or wait to earn baptism, what you'll find is that you could swim for 100 years and you'll never be any closer to the shore. Baptism is for the beginning. It's the sacrament of initiation. Learning how to follow Jesus comes afterwards. Now, this might sound a bit confusing to those of us who were baptized months, maybe years, after we became a Christian. So I'm saying, this is oh, this is for the beginning. This is initiation. This is death to life in this moment. But for some of us, that was years after the moment we chose to follow Jesus. The moment that we prayed the prayer or whatever it was for you to give our lives to Jesus and the day we get baptized are often two very separate events in our minds when we think about our Christian lives. That was my story. For example, I probably became a Christian when I was about five. don't really remember. Um, but then I was baptized when I was 15. Talking about baptism as this disinitiation can feel confusing for me when I know that that moment where I passed from death to life happened when I was like six or five. I know that in that moment, whenever it was, when I was a child, I was transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There was nothing left to happen to me. I was in. So when I say that baptism is a rescue from death to life. Am I saying that baptism is the moment we're saved or that baptism affects our salvation? No. The Bible is so clear that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, not by doing anything, including getting baptized. Here's something that helps me understand then what's going on. For Paul and the writers of the New Testament, I think that being, becoming a Christian, getting baptized, entering the church, they're all one event. Or at least they're so closely related that they're spoken about as one event. And often we see in the Bible, actually most often we see in the Bible, baptism happens on the same day. Which just makes it a bit more simple, right? When we think about these things. We often refer to that prayer as of repentance, as the moment we became a Christian. But that prayer isn't what saves us, right? We're saved by Jesus through the faith given by God that causes us to pray that prayer. Does that make sense? We, if we're praying that prayer, we have already got saving faith. In the same way, it's not baptism that saves us. But for the writers of the New Testament, it's the equivalent of the prayer, I think. (laughs) It's a sign and seal, a marker of our salvation. I think if Paul was trying to find out from someone the moment they became a Christian, maybe we'd say, oh, like, when did you become a Christian? Like, when did you pray the prayer? Um, I think Paul would say, when were you baptized? In the Bible, we see becoming a Christian and baptism described using the same language That's why we have verses to say that baptism saves us. It's not the water that saves us. It's the one we're baptized into. But baptism is so powerful a sign and seal of our salvation that Paul is able to say in Romans 6, Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is describing salvation and baptism. (laughs) While we're talking about how we understand baptism in the 21st century church, it might also just be worth spending a moment uh, looking at christening, or what some types of churches would call infant baptism. Now, it might be that you were christened as a baby. And perhaps you've always understood that to be your baptism. Or perhaps your confirmation was a really important moment in your testimony. We would say that though christening or confirmation may may be significant in a testimony, we believe that we are buried and raised with Christ in baptism through faith, as it says in Colossians 2. That as we've just heard for the writers of the the Bible, salvation through faith and baptism Go hand in hand. In Acts, Peter tells the crowds of Pentecost to repent and be baptized. But baptism is a response to repentance. Or even in our passage today, we're told to baptize disciples, people who have made a decision to follow him. And those things, amongst some others, is why we wouldn't baptize infants and would encourage you to think about being baptized as a believer, if that's your story. If you have any questions or you'd like to come and chat about that, we would love to talk to you. Come and chat to me, talk to JP. Um, We'd love to book a chat, have a cup of tea, talk about these things. But for those of us who have been baptized, how should our baptism encourage us in our faith today? Because I imagine that it's most of the room saying, oh, I have been baptized, so I'm not trying to work out when it is. I love what Scott Swain says in talking about communion and baptism. He says, we have a name it, claim it theology. Now, name it, claim it is something that we would rightly be warned against. We don't name and claim things we have no promise of in this life. Physical healing, money, an easy time, a promotion. Countless Christians throughout history, including the disciples, (laughs) have suffered and suffer great persecution, distress, sickness, and poverty. And for each of us, the Christian life does not remove us from suffering, quite the opposite, in fact. But each of us who are baptized into Christ can name and claim his victorious resurrection as if it were our own. We can name and claim that if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Our baptism isn't something we ticked off a Christian to-do list a few years ago. To remain a date in an old calendar, we must put our baptisms to work as a powerful weapon in the daily Christian life. I've loved reading about Martin Luther doing exactly that. Martin Luther, you might know, began his ministry as a Catholic priest, and he was increasingly distressed at the idea of a God he wasn't righteous enough to please on his own it was when he was studying the book of Romans that the truth of the gospel hit him like a train and he realized that neither sacrament nor works could save him, but only the saving work of Christ on his behalf. It might be a strange sort of encouragement to you, as it is to me, that even after this joyful freedom Martin Luther had found in the gospel, he still experienced anxiety, doubt and spiritual depression throughout his life. His tactic, when these times came, was to use his baptism as a weapon. Apparently, he could be heard audibly shouting at condemnation that came his way, saying, I am baptized. Apparently, he wrote it on his desk to remember as he was working, translating the Bible into German, I am baptized. Not I was baptized, I am baptized. Martin Luther knew better than anyone that it wasn't his baptism that had saved him, but he named and claimed that definitive moment of his baptism, declaring that if he had followed Christ through death, he would follow him into resurrection life, that he was united with him forever, that he was washed clean. I can remember um, as a young child, probably about six years old, um, redoing that the prayer that I would probably prayed at uh, Stonely or some conference or something when I was a kid um, to top it up or to check that I'd got the words right. Um, I remember just like doing it now and then just to be sure that I'd properly became a Christian. We're actually like that now, I think. God knows that we're like this, that we doubt, that we waver. He's given us baptism as an objective, visible, physical thing that we can't deny has happened. I never have to wonder, am I really a Christian? Did I do it properly? I can look back to that day in April when I was 15 and declare I am baptized. What would it look like for you to make this a habit in your daily life? To use your baptism to speak to the doubt, fear, condemnation, guilt, that we all experience from within and from without. If you're struggling at the moment to believe that God loves you, or even that he likes you, that he wants to spend time with you, you are baptized. That means that the words of the Father over Jesus at his baptism are the same words he spoke over you at yours. And God never changes his mind This is my son or daughter, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. If you're struggling at the moment to believe that your future in God is secure, you are baptized. That means that since you have been united with him in a death like his, you shall certainly be united with him. In a resurrection like his. I quoted that three times in this preach, but I don't I don't care. (laughs) In other words, where he goes, you go. Where he is now, you will certainly follow. If you feel stuck in cycles of sin or weighed down by guilt that would tell you God is displeased with you, you are baptized. That means, in the words of Calvin we should be very certain that whatever time we were baptized, we are once and for all washed and purged for as long as we live. Thus, every time we fall again into sin, we must recall the memory of our baptism and through it grow strong in our confidence that our sins are always forgiven us. Baptism is a gift of God to the church, a picture and declaration of our salvation. As we act out our story in baptism, God teaches us what he's done for us in saving us by his grace. In baptism, we are caught up into the story of God's people who are saved through water into new life. We, like the Israelites, marvel at the dry ground beneath our feet and the new land spread before us. Tim Suffield over at King's Church Birmingham writes about the resurrection this, Jesus did not return to us, no, nothing so small. Instead, he walked out the other side of death, leaving a doorway in his wake. That doorway is baptism into Jesus. And now each of us can declare, even when a whisper is all we can muster, I am baptized.